Hi, this is Michelle Lassley with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together. My guest today is Caroline Connor. She uses the pronoun she, her, hers. Caroline is a wine teacher based in Lyon, France. Originally from California, Caroline is all about making wine fun and accessible. She takes the snob out of wine snob and just leaves the wine. Caroline posts weekly YouTube videos where she shares practical wine tips and she has an online wine course called Everything You Need to Know About Wine. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Okay, so since we're talking about wine, the first thing I would love for you to do is imagine you're getting a beloved wine that maybe you've had um, you've had a, a few times maybe, and could you just describe enjoying that glass? Oh, it's so hard. Everyone wants to always ask me about what my favorite wine is. That's not the question you asked, though. So okay, let's see. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, if I could have anything right now, I would have some German Riesling from the Mosul Valley. It it smells like elderflower, apple juice, honeysuckle happiness, and it tastes like juice. It's pretty low alcohol. It's got a little bit of sugar. It is yummy. It is yummy. And it's one of the first wines. It actually is the first wine that I ever really was like, ooh, yeah, this is, this is good. Because when you're young and you drink crappy wine, as we do, you don't get those wine moments. But then once you start drinking good wine, I don't mean expensive wine, just good wine. You'll have a really good wine and you're like, damn, this is what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, so this that's great. Okay. So when we're young and we drink crappy wine, we're, we're doing it because, you know, maybe our friends are drinking and maybe we have like low budgets and uh, you're, you're originally from California. And so, yeah. right. Two buck chuck, right? Yeah, for sure. But hey, two buck chuck tastes good. Yeah. Okay. It does. So but it, it is a science project. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Um, it's okay. Two buck chuck is the Big Mac of wine. It's cheap and it's delicious, but it's engineered to be delicious. Right. It is not a quality wine. Um, it is, there's a lot of, of everything in there. Chemicals, additives, thickeners, mm. coloring. Um, we don't know what's in there. There's really no legislation on wine additives. So except for sulfites, which is funny because they're like not the problem. And that is a little bit of a segue, but I love this. So the whole sulfite thing, sulfites are in everything. Mm -hmm. And if you can eat a raisin or a dried apricot, you're not allergic to sulfites, but people think they are because in the eighties, Strom Thurmond, who's like a famous right-wing nutbag in the eighties, a Senator, he was a teetotaler and he wanted to shit on the wine industry. And so he basically made this like fear campaign about sulfites. So some people have sulfite allergies. Very few people do. And it sucks to be them because sulfites are in everything. And they, um, they get like allergies, you know, like allergy stuff. Like they don't give you a headache. You got a headache because you drink too much. <laughs> but so, uh, yeah, sorry. There's my sulfite rant over. No, this is great because <laughs> sulfites and tannins are a huge thing for people who want their wine to be like organic and pure. And what, what I mean by thing is, uh, is, is they've heard from the other that's hanging yeah. out there, that it's a bad thing. Okay. This is great knowing that it came from Strom Thurmond because all the people that I know who are against yeah. sulfites could wear the hat bleeding heart liberal. Yeah. They don't know what they're talking about though. It is total misinformation. Look, 
good winemakers are using sulfites minimally, but sulfites exist in the atmosphere. They exist in us. They're inorganic salts. So sulfites uh, will be in every single wine ever, even if it's organic. And even if there's no sulfites added, there are very few wines that are zero sulfite added um, for the very basic reason that it's very difficult to make wine without sulfites. Uh, sulfites have been part of winemaking for, for thousands of years. They are basically, they're a preservative. They bind with oxygen and they keep your wine from turning into vinegar. So even organic and natural wines, they do use sulfites. For the most part, they use very small quantities, but good winemakers are using small quantities of sulfites anyway. So okay, sulfites so. are like, a, they're the boogeyman. They're not, you know, I'd be a lot worried about, about pesticides. I'd be a lot more worried about other shit that they're putting in mass produced wine than I am about sulfites. The sulfite thing is just, it's just propaganda, honestly, at this point. It's, and it's annoying that it's still so pervasive. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know why we were still on that, but it's just one of those things like MSG, which is like also not a big deal, but right. had its moment in the eighties, right? Right. Um, tannins are are something that are a compound that are in the skin and the seeds of the grape. And so we get them on red wines because of the way the wine is made. And some people definitely can have allergic reactions to tannins. Um, often when people have a headache from red wine, it's because of histamines. Uh, and so that is, that is legit. But I think a lot of the time when you have a, a wine headache, it's probably because you didn't, you didn't drink water and you ate, didn't eat enough and you drank too much, you know, right, I mean, I'm right. in there, but you drink better wine, you probably drink less of it if it's more expensive, mm -hmm. but also you, I mean, I, I think that the pesticides and all the other stuff that is nebulous, we don't even know mm -hmm. what's in there. That stuff is what, what worries me more than anything. So how do you know you're getting a good wine? Oh my God. I mean, you don't like that's, that's kind of part of the problem is there's no transparency. I think that the best way to shop for wine is to have a local wine shop because mm -hmm. that person that, you know, that's going to be an independent one. Ideally, if you have access to that, that's where you're going to get the best wine because those people are going to be buying wines from independent winemakers, from, from small wine producers. It's about scale. It's like anything. I mean, it really is. It's about sustainability and scale. It's, you cannot do anything very, very well if you're doing enough of it. If, if you're doing too much of it, your quality is going to drop, right? Right. And so scale and quality do, um, you know, they, they are opposite sides of the scale, right? So a small independent wine merchant is going to have small independent winemakers. And so those are the people that are going to have um, lower intervention wines. I mean, there is a whole scene of natural wine, which is interesting because it doesn't really mean anything. Um, it, the first legislation on that term came about in France in April. So it's brand new legislation, but that's, that term has been around for a while. It means that they're using minimal sulfates. They should be organically farmed, handpicked, and they shouldn't be, um, you know, doing, add, adding additives and stuff like that. But it's also like a scene. It's really hipster. It can be really alienating. Um, and some of those wines are, are actually faulty because they don't put enough sulfites in. And so the wine turns, you know, goes bad. Right. Right. Yeah. I worked but, for a nonprofit once and yeah. uh, we had to go through and test all the wines. It'd been a while. We stored them improperly in a hot room upright. Yeah. And uh, somebody had the the foresight to say, hey, you know, if we're going to take this to our next gala, maybe we should make sure this isn't vinegar. So many of them had turned yeah. to vinegar. There's this misconception that wine gets better as it gets older. And some wines do, but most of them don't. Really? Fascinating. So what would, so you go, you go to your independent winemaker, you yes. get something and what would be a good 
your winemaker, uh, if you have a winemaker and you live in a wine region, that's even better, but, um, your local <laughs> wine shop. Yeah. Um, like how long could you expect it to last ballpark? God, I mean, I would say, don't buy, why are you keeping it? What's the point? Great question. You know, like buy what you're going to drink. If you have a place to keep it, which is a cool, dark place, a cellar, right. Mm-hmm. Or a wine fridge or, you know, a garage or whatever basement. Mm-hmm. If you have a cool, dark place to keep it and you, uh, you want to, I, mean, I just don't know, like what, if you're buying in bulk, uh-huh. you know, sometimes from the winery, you buy a case or two. I would only do that if you have a place to keep it. If you don't have a place to keep it, don't bother. Um, keeping wine for aging is something that is can be amazing. I mean, old wine is really interesting. It's really savory and weird, but like most normal people probably wouldn't even like it. Like it's uh-huh. weird. Uh-huh. It tastes different. Um, and the wines that are, you know, meant to age for 20, 30 years, those are really expensive wines. They're few and far between. Most wine is not like that. You know, there are wines that are, but they are very expensive. So most of the wine that you're going to get at the shop is ready to drink, right? You know, drink it and it'll be okay for, for like a year or two. Maybe, you know, if it's a really light fruity white, that is not getting better. It's not going to get better. What's good about it is that it's fruity as the wine gets older, the fruit fades and, you know, other aromas develop and some wines just, uh, are not, most wines are just not meant to age. So I, I wouldn't really bother, honestly. Yeah. Buy it, drink it, enjoy it now. Yeah. Get more yeah. wine. <laughs> it's almost like, uh, we got a couple of gift cards once somebody had wanted us to, they were thanking us, you know, so they got this, these nice $50 gift cards, visa, whatever. This is years ago. Legislation has changed and they've changed now. And we're like, we're going to save this for a rainy day. Well, when the rainy day came, the gift cards were meant to be used within a year. And after the year, they started incurring all these fees and there was literally nothing left on these gift cards. And so we had like two of these, we had a hundred bucks. We couldn't use it all. We could have got a couple bottles of wine for that yeah, <laughs> or whatever. Okay. Yeah, you can get loads of wine for that. No, I mean, it's it, absolutely. And I think the, the saddest thing to me is that the whole like co- wine collecting wolf of it's wolf of wall street bullshit. It is, it is dudes, rich dudes who collect were insider trading amongst themselves. Watch the movie Sour Grapes about some crazy wine fraud in the early 2000s. Like there, it's amazing, it's documentary, but there are, there basically were these people that were just kind of trading fancy wine back and forth and raising the prices. And this is trading it back and forth between Asia too in like early 2000s. And the prices just went insane. And they still are insane. It used to be possible to buy the best wines in the world and they would cost $100 in a restaurant. You know, now the best wines in the world cost thousands, ten thousands. I mean, ridiculous. To buy a bottle of wine to keep for 20 years, let's say I wanted to buy a bottle of wine to keep for 20 years, I would buy a bottle of very expensive Bordeaux. And the way Bordeaux works is that they actually go, they price the wines and start selling them before they're even in the bottle. So they have this really weird system in Bordeaux called Futures or On Premier where the journalists all come out in spring. They like flock to the chateau and the uh, the chateaus then, you know, are, are showing these barrel samples. So this is unfinished wine. It is undrinkable. It's disgusting. I've tasted it before. It is weird. It's so intense. It'll stain your teeth. It's not good. And the journalists taste these wines and then they release their, their notes and then the houses price their wines. And so this year they couldn't do that. Right. Oh, and then, and then people buy stuff in before it's even finished. And so you buy it before it's bottled, then it gets sent to you. And then you keep it in your cellar for 20 years before it's drinkable. Um, This year that didn't happen, of course, because of COVID. And so this year 
the journalists didn't get the taste or they were shipping uh, unfinished samples, barrel samples, which are super unstable. And so you, they couldn't really do it the way it used to be. And so the prices are 30, about 30% lower. And for the first time ever, I might actually buy some just because I think it'd be cool to, to have some really fancy wine to sit on for 20 years. Um, I'm at a place in my life where I actually have a seller now for the first time ever. Uh, and, and, but the prices, so 30% lower than last year. And it's still like $300 a bottle for the really, really fancy ones for the, for the most expensive ones, 300, sorry, 300 euros. Wow. Right. Yeah. Euros. That's important. Okay. I'm not going to be buying, I'm not going to be buying a <laughs> Mouton. <laughs> ah, okay. We've covered a whole bunch of things. I didn't even think that oh, we would sorry. cover. <laughs> no, this is great. I, this is why I like to have conversations because we're discovering these things as we go. And I'm so glad that we got to touch on the sulfites and the tannins and we'll have links in the show notes to the documentary sour grapes. This is fantastic. I'm really enjoying, um, where we're going with this. Okay. So well, actually, one of the questions I thought of was, uh, what were some of the hidden things in the wine in this industry that you didn't expect as you got there? And you've kind of touched on a couple things already, but like, um, what comes up for you when I ask you that? I mean, it's an interesting question because I've always been in the wine industry. I got into wine when I was in college and I went into the wine business. So I'm 32 now. I've, I've been working in wine for my whole adult life. Um, so... I mean, I knew it was snobby. I guess when you're younger, maybe you, or maybe we didn't because we weren't having the same conversations. I didn't realize, I didn't really realize how real sexism was and how much it would be in everything when I was younger. And I think actually every year that I get older, I feel it more and more and more deeply. Mm-hmm. And I think that just is something that maybe as we get older, but also some of the conversations we're having, mm-hmm. um, you know, hashtag me too, which was crickets from the wine industry, by the way. But I'll tell you what, Hashtag me too. Like the wine business is a place full of booze, men, and power. What do you think happens? You know? So honestly, I, um, I'm i not surprised by that. What, what I think surprised me, what surprises me continually is how awesome winemakers are and how, mm. how winemakers are farmers, you know? And there are, you know, a handful of like really rich people who make great, you know, who are, who own chateaus that make great wine or own wine, wineries that make great wine. But most winemakers are farmers, you know? It's like, and the people that I work with here in France, you know, it's a woman and her brother and her dad. And that's it. And they make beautiful wine. They've been making wine for generations. It's not fancy, but they, they love their land and they love their wine. And that is wonderful to me. So there is this side of wine that is super snooty, super, super snobby. And then there's like the wine itself. And it's just, it's just wine. It's just a, a farmed product, right? It's Right. It's like your beautiful roasted potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to uh, start backwards and move forward. Are you tired of moving month to month without any flow? Are you ready to get more in alignment with the world around you and your purpose? I believe we are all here together. And when I mean we, I mean all of us. From those who know their purpose and are connected to their environment to those who are just learning to be connected and what their purpose may be. I am here to hold space for us to learn together, to mastermind together, to make magic together. So I'm hosting new and full moon circles every month. We'll circle up about three days before the new moon and just before or on the full moon. 
together in circle on Zoom. We'll get grounded, we'll journal, we'll explore, and we'll mastermind together metaphysical and natural supports to keep us in alignment. Want to learn more? Visit www.michellelastly.com slash moonsircles. Space is limited, so be sure to grab your seat today. Welcome back. Okay, so you said that you've been in wine your entire adult life. How did you get into wine? I have a pretty unique path to wine, actually. So I grew up in California, but my dad, who's from Indiana originally, so he's American, he uh, lived in London. So my parents were divorced. He was in London when I was 16 and an angry teenager with purple hair. I moved to London to live with him, which was mm-hmm. obviously awesome because being 16 in the suburbs of America or being 16 in London, it's like, what's better, right? <laughs> so I moved to London and I just really loved it. I loved the UK um, and I ended up staying in the UK for college. So I went to Oxford where I studied archaeology and anthropology. That's my degree. And while I was there, I stumbled upon the one of the wine clubs. And of course, you know, Oxford is this fancy prestigious place and they have three wine clubs at least. And I ended up somehow getting involved with the Blind Wine Tasting Society, which was like a splinter group of the wine circle, which was like this posh wine club. But the Blind Tasting Society, it wasn't about networking. It wasn't about, it wasn't about like who's who. It was about blind wine tasting. So basically you have a bunch of wine, you don't know what it is, you have to guess what it is. And it's really hard. And we have a competition against Cambridge every year. And it's a very, it's a small group. It's not, you know, it's not very popular. It's a weird thing to do. (laughs) You know, we would sit in a room silently sniffing and and scratching away at our pencils and swirling and spitting for an hour before arguing for another hour. I mean, it was this weird gang of nerds. Um, But yeah, so I, I competed in the 2009 match against Cambridge and I was top taster, which was very exciting. And it's kind of an event in London in the wine trade. It's something that people are familiar with. And there seems to be a thread of people that did this that end up in the wine business. So mm-hmm. I actually have a few friends who did it as well, but they weren't actually at Oxford at the same time I was. Mm-hmm. They were before me, but they're in in the wine trade, one friend in San Francisco and one friend in, in London. And you kind of were all on this funny little path together. That's awesome. That is so awesome. Yeah. Okay. Uh there's more we could talk about there, but I want to go back to what you said about winemakers essentially being farmers. Yeah. Uh, so food is incredibly important to me. My my grandparents lived, had some acreage in Michigan um, growing up, and my grandfather uh, was part factory mill worker and part potato farmer. <laughs> and, and, and my grandmother tended the garden. Uh, she hated gardening, but she did it because it was a way to offset the budget for her 10 kids. Right. And (laughs) 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 yes. And, you know, they had cows and, uh, they pasteurized the milk in the house. Right. So that, that, so like, you mean, that's as close to the earth as you're going to get, as far as, you know, Mm -hmm. they slaughtered their own meat. I mean, they're kind of original homesteaders. One of my Mm -hmm. uncles called my uh, grandfather, uh, an original tree hugger. Now he uh, there's there's different things about him that wouldn't mesh with like the tree huggers of today for sure. But, you know, he would walk the land, this appre- deep appreciation for what the land provides us. And there was, um, uh, uh, well, <laughs> did we talk about it? Hashtag me too. Garrison Keeler, 
did uh, a, a, a thing in like 2000 on his show Prairie Home Companion about eating the first peach of the season. Oh yeah. And, and, and just what that was. Let's not, I actually do have a birch tree allergy, which means I cannot eat raw pitted fruit. Oh, that's so uh, sad. Super sad, but that, that, that going out and eating that first peach. So at the time before the allergy formed in my body, I could do that. And you know, when it drips down the side of your arm and the sweetness and the succulent and the fuzziness of the peach and the tenderness of the flesh, right? Like being close to the food that nourishes us and appreciating the land that got us there. And then the people who produce the product and when they're making a really, and they love their product, right? They mm -hmm. love doing the thing that they're doing. Even, even if like, they don't like my grandmother, right? She doesn't love gardening, but she loves to feed her family good food. Okay. Can we just talk about that? Yeah. So that is so important for wine in general, but it's also why I live in France, you know, <laughs> like my life is, well, it, eh, no, the market's back now, but I, I have a food market around, like literally below my house, an outdoor food market every day, except for Monday. So like, that's where I shop and that's how I shop. And I literally get my food from farmers that grew it themselves. And it's such a, it is such a joy to talk to these people and to eat this beautiful food. You know, right now, yeah, it's apricot season. The peaches are here, but they're not amazing yet. Mm -hmm. But the cherries are unbelievable. We got strawberries right now. It is it is fruit o'clock. But um, for wine, it is it's actually one of the most important concepts in wine entirely. Is a concept called terroir. It's a French word that means a sense of place. It's a word that we use uh, all all over the world though. Terroir and basically people think terroir just means soil, and it does mean soil, but it also means the slope. It means the uh, direction the slope faces. So, you know, the angle of the slope, the aspect, the way the sun exposure, it means the ecosystem, you know, within the vineyard, what animals live there, what bugs live there, what grasses grow between the vines. It means the way the wind moves around your neighbor's hill to hit your vines. It means everything that makes a specific place unique. I think that it also has to do with like cultural practices. Like terroir is about everything. It's about everything that makes a place special. And that is why we organize wines the way we do. That's why wines are labeled by the place. You talk about Napa Cabernet, you talk about Bordeaux. These are places. Um, in, in France, Spain, and Italy, almost, you know, the vast majority of wines are labeled only by their place. They're not labeled by their grapes. And all over the world, that is a unifying uh, concept of wine. And it's what makes wine so incredible is we have this incredible world full of different places that manage to have a completely different spin on on something that could be very, very similar. You know, when you have, you're in Oregon, right? When you have Pinot Noir from Oregon and then you come visit me and we have Pinot Noir from Burgundy and we go to New Zealand and we have Pinot Noir from New Zealand and we go to Chile and we have Pinot Noir from Chile. They're all totally different. I want to um, do they that They have tour. some commonality. I know, let's do it. <laughs> the Pinot tour, that would get expensive real fast, but uh, it's, that's what terroir is all about. And it is the ultimate expression of, of wine. Like that, the best wines, whether they're expensive or cheap, are about terroir. They're not about the grape variety. They're not about anything. The, the, the best, the purpose of the winemaker is to, to show off their terroir. That is the soul of wine. So what would the, that farmer, what would that winemaker have to do to honor the terroir and, and just honor the whole process and ensure that the outcome is desirable? I, well, so vineyards are a pain in the ass. They're usually sure. on pretty steep slopes. Well, they're not usually, but the best ones are. Um, the, the, the cycle of winemaking is very much about the seasons. 
the let's you know let's start in winter in the winter they go through and they prune the vines so the vine vines are mostly um well they're almost all grafted and they're all cultivars so they are they're not um propagated is that the right word uh so no that's the wrong word um cut that out let's see (laughs) um you know what all of that is actually boring so in the winter they prune the vines and they basically clean up all of last year's um, tendrils, right? Because they are vines. They want to spread. And that is hard work. It's, you have to, pr- I mean, I think you can do it with machines, but you know, let's say, let's say you're a small, a small farmer. You're not doing that with machines. You are walking through there. You're clipping off this really intense hardwood. It's probably slapping you. And then you're burning it in a barrel that you drag behind you. It's dirty work, but you got to do it. It's cold out too, probably. It's right, winter. right. In the spring, the new uh, the new buds will come, the shoots will emerge, and you will attach them to uh, wires if that's how you farm. And you know, you just kind of go through and check on things. Once the flowers bloom and the grapes start to emerge, then it's about doing your best to protect them and and deciding you know how many bunches you want. The fewer bunches a vine has, the more concentrated they're going to be because the vine only has so much energy, right? It only has so much energy to put in. So the the, the best grapes are going to be from the most most dedicated farmers who are just there every day. They're just walking through. They're they're picking. You know, they're they're checking on things. They're they're checking in on it. And I think that organic farming is really important. I think that doing you know having as minimal crap as possible on your grapes is going to make happier grapes. I think that there are, are people that aren't certified organic that make wonderful wine that obviously care about their grapes deeply. Like certification for wine can be really, I mean, anything for anything is can yeah, be really it's for hard. anything. So there are yeah. a lot of winemakers who, who aren't certified organic and who never will be. You know, I was talking to a winemaker who was like, we're not organic because we can have mold problems. And um, you know, these bunches, they're these tight bunches of grapes. If it rains towards the end of the, the summer, that is like mold wants to get in there. Right. And, they, right. and he's like, you know what? We diagnose it. We're not spraying on everything. We will, we are in there. We're checking, but we will treat like a doctor would treat its patient if we have grapes that need, need help. Right. And so I can appreciate that, but the best winemakers are out there all the time. Wow. And, yeah. they, and they are, I mean, they have to be. Yeah. And well, then, they're dedicated you know, and theoretically they love it. I would hope. I mean, I think it's, I think it's hard. I think they love, they love, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they love their land. It's, uh-huh. it's hard work. I and mean, you don't make a lot of money. You know, there's a handful of people making money off of wine, but right. most people don't. But you're not a farmer. You no. teach people. I have people. no desire to be a farmer. <laughs> <laughs> you're on the Way other end. Oh, that's yeah. hilarious. I am maybe lazy in, in, in one end, but I don't think you're lazy. I think that's a misnomer. But anyway, so pre-COVID, you would bring people to your business and you would help uh, help bring back maybe what you did at the, your wine club and taste wine. Oh, it was great. I, um, so I, I've done a lot of different things in the wine business, but my favorite thing I've ever done was my wine tastings here in Leon. So I set up a business doing wine tastings for tourists. So tourism is a super fun industry. It's a great industry because you get people when they're happy. They want to be with you. They're on vacation. I loved, I loved 
my my business, I would welcome my guests into my beautiful apartment, which is a 200 year old silk factory turned apartments like American in France dream. And I would teach them about all of our local wines. And where I am in Leon is right in between a bunch of really famous wine regions, including Burgundy and the Rhone. So I'm like right in the middle of all the great wine. And so they would come in, we'd have some bubbles, introduce ourselves, small groups, maximum eight people. Uh, and it would often be different, you know, three couples or something like that. And, you know, yes. people would meet and make friends across my table. And then we would taste three whites, three reds, and I'd have like a cheese board. It was a blast. It was yeah. awesome. And I do miss it. Uh, obviously, this summer is canceled. Sure. No tourists. Uh, so I, I'm moving into online education, but I, um, I loved it. I hope it comes back. It'll come it was back. It's really fun. It know? has to come back. If it doesn't come back, what's the point? I know. And well, well you know, the online stuff is cool too. And actually it's interesting because it's something I had thought about a lot, but I would never, I would not have had time to do it. Right. And in some ways it allows me to reach a lot more people. Yeah, absolutely. So we yeah. can break down the sulfite tannin myths, for example. Yeah. Um, so you have a YouTube channel now and you have an online course, everything you need to know about wine. Yes. I just launched it. <laughs> so it's really exciting. Awesome. Uh, okay. Sulfites aside, what is another big misnomer that everybody should know about wine? Uh, that wine doesn't have to be expensive. Good wine doesn't have to be expensive. Mm. And that you can't, that you can't age most wine. I think that's a big one. Like yeah. stop hoarding your, your bad wine. Like just drink it. Stop hoarding any of your wine. Do you have any idea how much beautiful wine is turning into vinegar in like billionaire cellars right now? Oh, that's it's sad. tragic. That it's is tragic. Yeah. Super heartbreaking. Yeah. Wow. Mm. <laughs> um, what else? Do you drink whatever you want. I mean, don't let anyone tell you what's good. Like there are, you know, some wine pairing techniques that can be really nice, but if you like something, own it, right? Yeah. Don't let anyone tell you what to drink. I don't tell people what to drink. I'm never, I'm never going to tell you, you need to get this producer or this, this specific wine there's too much great wine in the world for that. Right. And so you, you said you're 32, right? So you're yeah. also more of the age of like what uh, before it was, you know, white wines with fish and chicken, red wines with dark meats, that sort of thing. Yeah. So do you like to throw those out as well? Or is there, um, let's see, chicken goes with everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, fish, the fish thing is real. Basically. So the big thing to know about food and wine pairing is that it's food that makes wine taste weird. It's not wine affecting food, it's food affecting wine. So fish makes tannins, which you find in red wine, taste metallic and tinny. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a like big red wine with fish, often it will, it it just has a weird, it leaves a weird metallic, really like tinny, like canned, gross canned fish vibe in your mouth. Uh And it's no, it's, it's not good. So that's why we don't often drink um, red wine with, with fish. You can have and it's tannins. It's also the, I, I'm not exactly sure, but like iron in there's, there's theories that iron also in the red wine that like combines with the fish to give you this metallic thing, but try it. It's really yeah. weird. Like you'll see it's not good, but it's, it's interesting. If you have a bottle of red wine open, you're eating fish, try it and then wash your mouth out. Um, <laughs> no, it's, but if you like it, who am I to tell you? It's not good. Right. 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 What you want. Well, that's so yeah. fascinating. Okay. So where can people find you? So I am uh, Wine Dine Caroline on all platforms. I'm Wine Dine Caroline on YouTube, on Instagram, on Facebook, and also my website is winedinecaroline.com. I do a weekly 
wine video on YouTube. And I also have a weekly newsletter that accompanies that where I give you really practical wine tips. I'm just trying to make things easy. Awesome. I am so glad to hear this. I'm still like shocked by the whole sulfite thing. So, <laughs> and we'll have um, mind blown. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love dispelling these myths about whatever. So, I mean, it goes back to that. My mother actually did this, but it's also an urban legend. You've heard the story of the rump roast, right? So, no. the daughter, and so in this case, it was actually my mother. Um, cuts off the end of the rump roast and she puts it in the pan. Grandma, her mom, comes over one day. Honey, what are you doing? She's like, well, I watched you do that. You you always did that. I did it because it couldn't fit in the pan. Your pan's big enough. And so when we start doing these things because everybody's always done them and we don't go and back and look at the source of the thing. And then, you know, so sorry, bleeding heart liberal friends who like to hate on your sulfites. It came from a bleeding heart right wing guy rest his soul you got uh you got bigger problems than sulfites sulfites are the boogeyman they're not um they're not they're not the problem <laughs> yeah so pesticides i think are a lot yeah absolutely by organic wine yes. and i'll actually drop a link into our chemical life for a blog post that i wrote um that will you know hopefully get you to thinking about chemicals and, and pesticides and whatnot um okay so no to the the boogeyman enjoy your damn <laughs> wine and yes. check out Caroline on her platforms. Thank you. Yes. Ah, oh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. You're welcome. Balance Shared is produced and edited by me, Michelle Astley. The instrumental music Grass by Silent Partner is from the YouTube Audio Library. If you've enjoyed today's episode, leave a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. If you've loved the messages of co-creating a better future and digging into ourselves, maybe you'd like to become a supporter. Email hello at michellelastly.com to get your sponsorship guide. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This is Michelle Lastly with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together. <laughs>